Bye. Hey, everybody. Hello, hello. It's been several weeks since I've been here, and it has not been because I don't want to be here. I love being here. This is my, this is my church, but I, I speak somewhere just around the country just about every weekend. But I want to let you know that uh, when I'm not here, I am praying for you, praying specifically for Jeff. Many of you know I've known Jeff since he was in ninth grade, and I am, uh, listened to every one of his messages. And did you, if you weren't here last week, oh my. Oh my, listen to that one. That one, like, stunned me. He talks about demons. It was awesome. It was scary, uh, but, you know, it was great. And, uh, and Jeff, he's been here like a year now, right? How great is that? I didn't, you weren't here at 9 o'clock service, but, yeah. So uh, you get here a year, and then we give you one week off, so I'm speaking today. And now we have to call you the Reverend Honorable. Jeff, okay? So when you see Jeff from now on, you call him the Reverend Honorable because he's been the lead pastor here for one year, and it is, um, I am so thankful that you and Amanda said yes to this. You are a blessing to this community, and it's just, it's awesome. Um, but last week you said something lame, and uh, I want to talk about that. He started his message, who was here last week? Raise your hand if you're here last week. He starts his message by all these television shows where you have to try to guess the television show, right? And then he makes these comments like, oh, if you don't know this, you should go to another church. Well, sometimes the, the, the criticism on Jeff is sometimes he doesn't understand that there are people here who are over 40, uh, <coughs> 50. <coughs> and there's some of us that were actually working and contributing to society when you were at home in your, uh, you know, Captain Crunch and watching cartoons. So uh, I didn't know a single one of the songs, and I thought, you know, that's how I'm going to start this week. I'm just going to say, when I was a kid, here's my, my favorite television show. Let's see, how many of you actually know who this is? Okay. All right. So, see, Jeff, people are uh, a little bit older. Uh, this is Don Adams from Get Smart, the greatest show ever in the history of humanity. And uh, this is Don Adams. I actually had dinner with him when I was 15 years old in Hollywood. Now, I just made that whole part up. Uh, I, I didn't, but um, I actually saw him at dinner. Now, would you believe that I missed him by that much? See, it's only funny if you know Get Smart. Uh, but he was Agent 86, and he worked for a spy agency called what? Control. He worked for Control, and they had the they fought the evil spy empire, which was called Chaos. Yeah. So Control was the good people against Chaos. So even as a child, you learn that Control is is a good thing. And for many of us, we've not only grown up from that time of watching that show. That if you didn't watch the show, you learned it another way. You you want to be in control so your life is not about chaos. But then there are some of us who take that control thing and we take it a little too far and we become a control freak. So raise your hand if you know. Don't nudge. Don't point. Just raise your hand if you know somebody who is a control freak. Let me see. Oh, yeah, many of you in here. And you would rightly admit that it's somebody but not you. Now, here's the difference between control and control freak. If after church you insist that you drive your car, that is control. If you insist that you drive a car, but it's not yours, that is control freak, all right? So if you like your house neat and tidy and orderly, that is control. If you tile your garage, 
that is a control freak, all right? And so I want to take a quick poll to see where you put the phrase control. So positive or negative. So when I say I'm out of control, I'm out of control, how many of you see that as positive? Let me see your hands. Not very many. How many of you see out of control as negative? Let me see your hands. Yeah. What about this? I'm a control freak. Who says positive on that? Okay, a couple that are control freaks. Who, uh, who sees it as negative? Control freak is negative, hence the word freak, maybe. Uh, how about this one? I'm in control of my life. Who sees that as positive? Okay. Who sees that as negative? Most of you did not vote for fear of being wrong, right? I, I get it. See, typically in the culture that we live in, being, quote-unquote, in control, that's a positive thing. And being out of control, that is a negative thing. And that is the framework in which we happen to go through life. What I want to do today is I want to mess with that framework. Last week, Jeff talked about a spiritual dimension of life. And within that spiritual dimension of life, there is some different rules that we live by. And I want to mess with that control out of control. Now, the typical feeling of being in control that you want, let me just say that's fairly universal. Okay, most of us want to be in control, and so what then we do is we subtly or not so subtly, we like to control other people, so we feel more in control. It's also fairly universal to not admit that you have control issues. You want to admit that other people have control issues, but you don't want to admit that you have control issues. But because I want you to admit it, I will start. Okay? So I, want, I wanted to do some mass confession today. Those of you that grew up Catholic, you're going mass confession. This is awesome. I, I feel at home. Okay? But, so I'm going to start with the, the, the confession. My confession is that one of my personal struggles is insecurity. Okay? That I've battled insecurity ever since um, I was a, a teenager. And what happens when you're insecure, what you do is you try to control other situations that will trigger your insecurity. So what I want to do is I want to control anything that might make me insecure. That's just, that's just one example of being controlling. Another example, it's not quite as transparent, but it might be, um, you know, not as transparent as exposing my insecurity, but I think it's easier to understand is when my life would be feel out of control. Now, several years back, I've been married 29 years, or parent for 25 years, and living in this community, speaking at a lot of different places, big churches and things like that, where a lot of people know me, but I don't know a lot of, you know, there, my, a lot of my life is like, I want some of you, I want some of you, can you do this, you're the only person who can do this, and so for years, I've just felt like I've got so many plates spinning in my life that I can't please everybody, that my outer world feels a little bit out of control with all the things that I got going on, and people that need me and want me for different things, that when I would go home, home, I want to control my home. Because the thinking is, if my world is out of control, at least I can control my home. So when my kids were little, I wanted things neat and tidy and the whole bit. Again, my thinking was, if everything's out of control out there, I'm going to be in control here. Now, my wife's thinking was, you're an idiot, Doug, okay? that we have three young children. It's never going to be tidy and neat and the whole bit. So, but basically, the whole idea of this, what control is all about is relying on my power. Listen carefully. Control is all about relying on my power to feel 
good. So you don't try to control situations or other people so that you can feel lousy. Control is a way of feeling good. And here's what I'm guessing with hundreds of people in this room, that I am not the only one who struggles with control issues. Am I? Yeah, apparently you didn't think that was a question. Uh, I, let me just rephrase it. I understand. Uh, I am not the only person in this room that struggles with control issues. Am I? Question mark. No. no. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that to be true. And if you can't identify with the two examples that I gave, I made a list. And I'm going to hit every one of you with this list. And this is not a fictitious list that in the you know, year and a half, almost two years that I have been here, every time I speak, I go stand by the door and I have conversations with you. And you tell me things about your life. And I write them down. Okay? Because I think if the Holy Spirit is moving in this gathering of people and I'm hearing things from you. Now, I'm not going to put your name next to it. I'm not going to point. I'm not even making eye contact with you. But I just want to let you know this is not a fictitious list. This is from you. Okay? Here we go. I love this part. Okay? Uh, You may control because you're deeply afraid of failure. Now, what I want you to do is... When I hit one, you don't need to stand up or you don't have to go bingo or anything like that. You just go, okay, that's me, that's me. Okay, that's what I want, okay? Um, You may control because you're afraid of intimacy and you're afraid to get too close to people. You may control to try to get others to actually pay attention or love you. You may control so you feel powerful because of how small the world makes you feel. You may control because you don't trust others or because others have let you down in the past. You may control because you have a large ego. And it's a compensation for uh, to be, quote-unquote, more than because you feel less than. You may control because you were controlled. And that's all you know. You may control because you want everyone to think you're smart and you have answers for everything, so you express every opinion. It is a way of expressing control. And you may control because you're afraid of what others might think of you. All right, there's my list. Thank you for that, by the way. And uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand if you say, you got me on one. Let me see. Okay, look around. Keep it up. Look around. You're not alone. You're not alone. The others are lying. And uh, how about this? I, more, than, more than one, and now you feel out of control. Let me see. More than one, and you feel out of control. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but here's the deal. Because we go, the more we control, the better we feel. Or could it be the better we think we feel? See, the problem for many of us in here who have put our faith in the person of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, what we're going to celebrate in two weeks on Easter, that he defeated death and rose from the dead. For those of us who have put our faith and aligned our life to follow him, and I realize not everybody has, okay? Not everybody has. And I'm thrilled you're here. If you haven't, if you're investigating, you're curious, you're forced to be here, I'm thrilled. But for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, the problem happens when our control on our power replaces faith in God's power. Make sense? Control in our power replaces faith in God's power. So think of some life scenarios with with your children. Do you try to control your children so they become a certain way and maybe don't let you look bad? 
Or do you have faith in God's power that God loves your kids more than you love your kids and you're just there to guide them the right way? What about your marriage? You trying to control your marriage, control your spouse so that you feel better about yourself or even better. This is a great one. You try to control your spouse to be like you. Because if he or she was more like you, wouldn't they be great? Okay. (laughs) Or do I pray for my spouse and trust that God is changing him or her to reflect the person of Jesus? What are you, those of you who are dating, are you trying to control or manipulate your dating situations? Or do you trust that God is who he says he is and you've put your life in his hands? You've given him over control and you're going to follow him as, as he brings people into your life. What about your finances? Do you try to control your finances and keep a tight grip and you're always stressed and always checking the stock market and wondering where your balance sheet is? Or do you live as if your money is God's money that he's given to you and you are a manager or a steward of that money? What about your career? Are you always stressing out over your career, trying to control the path, trying to kick open doors on your own power? Or do you have faith that God will use your gifts and skills and talent for his ultimate glory? See, here's what I know to be true about life. It is so much easier and more natural and more intuitive to try to control situations than to offer those situations up to God's power. I'd rather rely on my own power. That's what comes natural to me rather than to offer it to God's power power and express faith. But as Jeff talked about last week, we've got to be aware that there's a spiritual dimension happening in us and around us. Now, I realize this is a long setup. It was a long setup to get you into this text that we're going to look at. But I wanted you to kind of lean in and get your arms around this this idea of where you control in your life. Because Jesus, as he invites us to start and be a part of this revolution, he, he wants to battle this control. As a matter of fact, I titled this message, When Losing Control is a Good Thing. And if you haven't been here, we're in a series teaching through the book of Luke called How to Start a Revolution. And basically, what does it look like to follow the person and teachings of of Jesus. And in this event in Luke chapter 5, some of you know it, and I'm praying that you would have fresh eyes to see it differently, that Jesus is out teaching. I'm going to give you a summary of it, and then we're going to dig into it. Jesus is out teaching. There's a large crowd that gathers around. Jesus gets in one of the guy's boats so he can have a little bit of a, a distance there when he's done teaching. He tells him to take the boat out, these seasoned fishermen, and he says, cast out the net. The fishermen are like, we're done fishing. There is no fish. Boom, all these fish, so much so that they need two boats to gather it all in. These guys go, oh, you're not just a great teacher. You must be God. And, and Jesus says, come on, follow me. Let's, let's do some real fishing. Okay, there's the summary of the event. Let's dig into this and kind of look at it uh, kind of verse, verse by verse, starting with uh, verse 1 in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bible or you want to grab your notes or look up on the screen, it goes like this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Big Word with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Okay, now, and Jeff probably knows. How do you say that word, Jeff? Yeah, you always know. You always know. It's like, did you say it? The, the big word. The, what? Gennesareth. 
If only I was the smartest Jeff. Gennesareth. Um, yeah, it's, it's the Sea of, sea of Galilee. Galilee. You know, he, he like wakes up in the morning. I'm going to, do I choose to read the Greek or the Hebrew in the Old Testament? Okay, yeah, it's just too, too big of words for me. Um, with the people crowding around him. What you need to understand about Jesus as you read about Jesus, everywhere he went, he drew a crowd. Okay, everywhere he went, he drew a crowd. And here's what it says about him. The crowd was amazed. Now, some of you have come to a crowd like this, so you can hide in a crowd to learn about Jesus. That's great. And if you are that investigating type, you're curious, you're wondering, you haven't crossed the line yet of putting your faith in Jesus, just read about Jesus. Lean into Jesus. You're going to see he was amazing. Everywhere he went, people were amazed. Verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, I wish we were given more instruction on why he chose Simon's boat of the two. We don't know what the fishermen were doing. Were the fishermen intently listening? Or chances are they were probably mending their nets and cleaning their nets from a lousy night of fishing the the night before. But what I want you to know about Simon, Simon was not a follower of Jesus. Simon was not a follower, but he, he definitely has an open heart. Because Jesus' first request of him is basically to commandeer his, his boat. Did anybody, raise your hand if you saw the movie, it's actually still out, called The Son of God. Anybody see that? Okay, not as many as I expected. Probably because you already read the book, right? You know, why, uh, why see the movie? But in the movie, The Son of God, they play this scenario out, and it has Jesus, you know, it's their dramatic liberty of it, but it has Jesus walking out to the boat and just, like, helping himself in the guy's boat. And Simon's like, hey, what are you doing? Who are you? What's going on? Are you a pirate? No, didn't say that. I just thought that'd be a good line. Uh, but it, and, and that is a little bit understandable, okay? A little bit understandable that he would have questions. Now, given our discussion on control... Simon's first interaction with him is that he's got to give up control of something that is important to him. What's important to him? His boat. Okay? Fishing is his occupation, and Jesus is invading his most valuable property. So we might consider this kind of phase one or stage one of giving up control of Jesus, if you will. Then Jesus sits down, which was the position of rabbis when they would teach. He sat on the boat, and then he used the water as kind of this natural amplification system to continue to uh, teach to the crowds. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, if you're taking notes, you've got a pen or pencil, circle the word master there, and then underline, but because you say so. Now, this seems a little abrupt to me. <laughs> He's done speaking, and he just says to Simon, I'm done. Let's take the boat out and fish, okay? Which, you know, when I'm done speaking, that's exactly what I want to do. I just want to go fishing. Okay? No, what I want to do is I want to eat, and I want to eat a lot, and so maybe that's what Jesus said. I'm on a diet right now, so I'm eating. I'll probably have a salad afterwards. I'm eating very good, but when I'm off, I'm a binge eater. Like when I'm done speaking or teaching or I'm tired or something like that, it is. I've never done, you know, I've never done the binge alcohol and drugs and stuff like that, but 
food benders, I'm the king, all right? I just, I, I'm so hungry. I'll just eat everything because I just taught. I deserve it. Uh, and so maybe Jesus was hungry, and, and he says, take me out for some fish, all right? And Jesus actually does this kind of thing. We're actually going to see a little bit later in, in, in the series on Luke, we get to 19, um, with Zacchaeus. Does everybody remember Zacchaeus? Because Zacchaeus was a what? A wee little man. Now, for those of you who didn't grow up in church, um, we grew up singing songs and mocking people's, um, uh, you know, posture and stature. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. If you read in Luke 19, he climbs up in this tree, and Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your house today. I love that boldness. It's kind of like this. Simon, I'm done teaching. Take me out for some fish. I mean, it's just, you, you know, I got to believe that Simon, well, you can sense it here. You know, he says, Master, you know, we've been up all night. He, he's tired. Now they've been mending their nets. They, um, you know, they were night fishermen during that time because when the sun would come up, the fish would go deeper into the water and the nets were rendered ineffective. So they would, they would fish at night when the fish were at the surface and they could use their nets, but they didn't, they didn't have anything. I got to believe he's going, you know, leave, leave me alone. You know, I, I wanna, I'm tired. I want to go home. I want to watch Housewives of Israel. Uh, I mean, you know, you can kind of see the eyes roll and go, oh, come on. You're a carpenter, dude. What do you know about fishing? I'm not coming to your house and, you know, critiquing your cabinet making and your rocking horse. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a fisherman. There are, there are no fish out there. But once again, Simon gives up a little more control. What does he give up control of? He gives up control of his agenda. He gives him his day. You know, he's getting ready to leave. He's, uh, he, t- he, he takes it out. Now, there's, there's a little bit of a pushback, but then... Simon makes that statement. This is a game-changing statement, all right? Hashtag game-changer right here, all right? Here's what he says. But because you say so. Really don't want to. It's not my idea. It's not my goal. It's not what I had planned. It's not my agenda. Mm-mm. But because you say so. It's just another, another little step of faith. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, obviously what Jesus is doing is he's displaying his power over nature. This was not just a fishing coincidence. Like, ooh, we hit a hot spot. I mean, they're really biting today. No, this was him moving from good teacher to displaying that he was God. God in the flesh. Flesh, not in the fish. God in the flesh, all right? This was not a fishing coincidence. This was Jesus proving his divinity. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. And he and all his companions were astonished. Other translations use the word amazed. At the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Simon's partners. Fell to his knees and said, go away. Seems a little strange, doesn't it? 
why would you say go away? What do you think? Talk to me. The shame, unworthy, absolutely. I'm now in the presence of perfection. I'm in the presence of God, and all of a sudden, all of the light of God shines into the darkness of my heart, and I'm going, he knows everything about me. I am not even worthy to, to be in your presence. My own sinfulness is overwhelming. But here's what you can't miss. See, what you can't miss is that Simon recognized that he wasn't worthy but Jesus was. That's a step of faith. I'm not worthy, but you are. And Simon gave up control and came to a faith conclusion. Now, earlier I had you circle the word master in verse 5. Why? Because that's what all rabbis were called. He's just referring to Jesus as a rabbi, as a good teacher. Notice what word he uses here. He now calls him what? Lord. Lord, he's had a conversion of heart. Then it says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. In the midst of his on his knees feeling shame, don't be afraid which is a common theme, common verbiage of, of Jesus. Don't be afraid because when you live in fear, you're not living. I'm here. It's okay. Don't be afraid. And then the master teacher uses a metaphor that these seasoned fishermen would understand. Boys, no more trout, no more mackerel. We're going for big game. We're going to fish for men. We're going to fish for women. We're going to fish for the souls of eternity. I'm inviting you to start a revolution, and we're going to catch people's attention, and we're going to turn them to God. So here's what I love about the way this ends. It says, they left everything. The biggest catch of their life, they left it. Their career, they left it. What they were good at, what they were confident, they, they left it. Their livelihood, what they were comfortable with. They, they didn't just leave it. It says they left it immediately. If you were to read this event in the book of Matthew, Mark, it says this, at once. Those are the words that are used. They left it at once. So when it comes to control, what do we see here? They gave up control, not just to anyone, but they gave up control to the one who is ultimately in control, they displayed their faith, and then they followed. And what I love about this event is that when Jesus gets in his boat, he challenges him with what I would call these next step faith opportunities. I mean, step one, can I just, can I just sit on your boat? Step two, can we, can we push the boat out a little bit further? Step three, would you cast the nets out even though you don't want to? Even though you caught nothing last night, then would you follow me? See, Jesus gives him these little next step faith tests. Get in the boat. Push out the boat. Cast the nets. Boom! The results. What are the results? Rewards. Overflow. Blessing. A total life change with meaning and purpose. See, it wasn't just a good day at the sea. 
It was a change in his whole life. So what do we know about Simon? Simon became who? Simon Peter. Peter. Okay, that Jesus said, I'm going to change your name to Peter. Petros, which means rock. I'm going to call you the rock. Now, if you look at the book of Acts, the early church was built on the rock. That Peter was a significant player as a follower of Jesus. Jesus saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. Not only was he blown away that Jesus moved from teacher to God, but now all of a sudden he had life. He had meaning. He had purpose. He was following, and, and the game was changed. Okay? I love that. Now, here's the deal. I don't want to just inform you with a nice Bible story. I don't want to do that. I don't want to just teach the Bible so people will have, you know, open frontal lobe, let me disseminate some information. You could have read a commentary to find out that, you know, they did night fishing at that time. I don't want to inform you. I want to inspire you to make this personal, okay, to make this very personal. Now, what it doesn't mean, Jesus doesn't call every follower to leave behind their career, but he does call every follower to surrender control. Okay, to surrender control, control of their agenda. So what does this look like in 2014? What does this look like for the man, for the woman, for the business owner, for the, for the student, for the single parent? What does this mean? Here's what I think it means for you and for me. What's the next faithful step? That's it. Okay. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be a part of a revolution? What is the next faithful step? You got to take These next steps. That's exactly what Simon did. What was the next step? Jesus kept prompting him with next step moments. And here's my encouragement to you. Some of you need to take next step faith moments. And start small. Start small. Let me me give you an illustration in the physical world. A couple years ago, I joined this uh, gym in, in Lake Forest called CrossFit Forest. Do we have any CrossFitters here? Yeah, it's not real popular. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's actually very cool. But here's the deal. I go to CrossFit Forest, and there's this, there's this rope that I had not seen since middle school. And it was a, a thick rope that goes all the way up to the top of the ceiling, just like this. And then there was like these 20-year-olds with biceps on top of biceps, and, you know, like three necks. They were like, and they touch the top of it, and then they slide down, all right? And it was rope climbing day. And, you know, this 50-year-old guy ain't going to climb a rope, all right? And I just, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I, I, I look and I go, yeah, you 20-year-olds, you're, you're good. I probably could have done that one. I probably could have done it upside down, uh, you know, when I was 20. But, and, and so, you know, Pete, the owner, says, oh, Doug, just, just try. So, you know, I grab the rope. And I try to climb. I mean, I, I mean... I, don't laugh until you try it, okay? You're just not allowed to laugh. I'm going to watch you, Kim. I'm going to see you climb a rope. You're not allowed to laugh at this. I couldn't get off the ground climbing the rope. So here's what they do. They call it scaling. So you have to scale. So now I've got to lay down, grab the rope, and pull myself up the rope, which like anybody can do, all right? I mean, you don't even have to have arms to do that. I mean, it was was just like, oh, really? I can't climb the rope, so I got to lay on the ground and pull myself up. I mean, I just felt like such a loser. So I thought, I'm not going to... Jeff, Jeff does CrossFit in his garage. Do you do that because you don't want people to see you? 
Oh, I can't afford it. You've been here a year. You're the Reverend Honorable. You get a raise. Join CrossFit. Come on. Okay. He didn't want people to see him get on the floor. So, long story short, I just started small. I went, okay, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit the 10 foot mark. So I jump, I grab the rope, just get up to the 10 foot mark. And then I threw myself a party. Okay. Then, you know, a month later, I'm going to get to the Olympic. Long story short, I just started small. This week, the workout was three rope climbs, 25 push-ups, and a 400-meter run five times. Okay, that's 15 rope climbs. Nailed it. Okay, I got all 15. No, don't, don't clap. I was really slow. Okay, there's, you know, there's like guys who did it in 12 minutes. It took me like an hour. Uh, and that 15th, I mean, there's a little piece of tape up there, and I got it. I mean, my finger just... I wanted to use the other finger, uh, but I mean, I, ju- I just, just got it, all right? So what's my point? My point is, in the physical world that we live in, everything starts small to develop those muscles. In the spiritual world, it's much the same way. As a matter of fact, I actually think it's more difficult in the spiritual world. In the physical world, we can white-knuckle and will stuff to happen. In the spiritual world, it's not a matter of you trying harder. It's a matter of you letting go of control and taking small, little steps. The question I want you to hear is, what's the next faithful step for you? As a gathering community that we call church, what we try, I've been here almost two years, what we try to do here is we try to offer you opportunities for that next faithful step. You know, every time Rooted has been announced, you know, when I've been here in the past, people cheer, and I'm like, why are they cheering for a 10-week class? That just seems weird, okay? But the challenge is to get involved. I just went through, Kathy and I just went through Rooted, and now I understand why they cheer. That was the next faithful step to get more involved in this community that, that we needed as a family and develop. For some of you come, you don't know anybody. You come in, you sit down, you drop your kids off, you go, okay, you know, Jeff's a great speaker the whole bit, you know, thanks, good music, my kids are taken care of, and then you leave. You don't know anybody. Your next faithful step is to get involved and rooted, get connected with other people. Now, all of a sudden, you're doing life with other people, the celebration at the end. I mean, it was was amazing. I just asked after last service, the sign-ups are, it starts a week after uh, Easter. If you can't do that, that is a next step for this community to get to know some other people and to take your faith to a deeper level. Every week, people invite you to give, okay, to to give of your finances. That is a faithful step for some of you. Like, I'm not, I'm not giving. I understand that for visitors or people checking this out, but if this is your home church and you're being fed here and encouraged, I mean, who do you think pays for the electricity and the childcare and different things like that? That's a step that you need to take that step and watch what happens when you step in faith and Jesus meets your faith. Serving is another opportunity. There are other people around here. We're always inviting you into these areas to to serve and to get involved. Put your faith into action. Now, that's just here at this place that we call Mariner's Mission Viejo. What about when you go home? What about in your relationships? What is the next faithful step? I don't want to forgive him. Then look, what does he say in verse 5? But because you say so. 
There's your next faithful step. I don't want to forgive him, but because you say so, Jesus, I'm going to take that step, and I'm going to forgive him. I don't want to love my neighbor. My neighbor's an idiot, okay? I don't want to. He always parks in front of my house. He leaks oil in the street. Spit on my mailbox in 72. You know, I just, I do not want to. But because you say so, what is that next faithful step? Let me help you understand something. Jesus is not amazed by your control. He's not. He's not amazed by you trying to control all these domains of your life. Jesus is only amazed by one thing, and that's faith. Okay, that's faith. As a matter of fact, when we get to Luke chapter 9, you're going to see that Jesus takes this phrase, no faith, people with no faith, and he puts it in the same category as evil, corrupt, and perverse. <laughs> How's that for a good morning, right? No faith, he calls you faithless, corrupt, evil generation. But he's amazed by faith. Look at this verse up on the screen, or it's in your notes. It's out of Matthew 8. It's another story. It's a story of a man who fully understood Jesus. And this man says, Jesus, I need you to heal my daughter. You don't even need to go to her house. You don't even go to her house. I, I have faith that you can just say the word. I understand authority. I understand commanding. You say the word, and she will be healed. And watch how Jesus responds to this. When Jesus heard this, the guy's faithful response, he was amazed. There's only a couple times in the whole Bible where Jesus was amazed. Here it is in a display of faith. And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What's Jesus amazed by? Faith. Now, here I can hear your pushback already. Doug, I didn't, you know, I don't have a lot of faith. I'm not, you know, I don't, I just don't have a lot of, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not the spiritual giant. I'm not that faithful type person. Okay. Neither was Simon. Simon was, was a fisherman. Okay? He didn't have this experience of faith. He didn't have this legacy of faith. He had a simple fisherman, uncomplicated life. But here's what he did. He took the faithful next step. I was introduced to Jesus when I was a teenager. My life was changed. So for 30 plus years, I've been following in the ways of Jesus. I went to four years of Bible college. I studied the Bible. I went to three years of graduate school. studied the Bible. Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. Let me summarize everything I know into a sentence. Jesus responds to faith. There it is. Your faith. Verses, your faith has made you well. Because of your faith, it will happen. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. People always want to say, well, how can I please God? The only thing that pleases God is, is faith. Take a look at Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him out. When we get to Luke chapter 17, we're going to hear Jesus talk about a certain type of faith. And here's what he talks about. Small faith. If you express the faith of a seed, as a matter of fact, the smallest of all seeds, a mustard seed faith. Okay, so I want to give you this image of small but valuable because I want you to remember that this week. Um, can, can I borrow somebody's wallet? I just need a wallet. And preferably, no offense, ladies, I'd rather have a guy's wallet because your wallets are not small. Uh, some of them are, you know, 
All right. Thank you very, very much. All right. Can I borrow, um, can I borrow somebody else's wallet as well, okay? <laughs> no. Okay. So what, this, is, this is small. This is really small. This is nice, compact. It's got a dollar bill in it. It's got a, uh, oh, an America Express black card. Number 604. No, just kidding. Uh, so, so a lot of, per, I mean, valuable, right? I mean, valuable. If you lost this, valuable. But this is, this is small. So here's what I want you to do this week with your wallet. I want you just to think of your wallet as small but valuable faith. So every time you reach into your wallet, every time you take it, just may it be a trigger memory for you to think about your faith. How do I please God? By expressing my faith. What's my next faithful step? Because here's, here's the image, small but valuable. For some of us, we live our lives and we think, this is what I've got to carry around. I mean, this is, this is faith. And this is this is lead pastor Jeff McGuire type faith. I mean, I bet, you know, Jeff just wakes up, hey, God, how's it going? You know, here we go, you know. And, and I mean, if I, I, and then, you know, Jeff's the leader of this church, and he's got all the faith, and so if I have a need, I better get to Jeff and ask him to dispense some of your faith to me, Jeff, would you? Okay? The, the problem with this is that you don't take this with you into the real world. You keep it stored, and you, and you keep it hidden. And you only go after this faith when you are, you are desperate. But this, small but valuable, this is what Jesus is looking for out of my life. Doug, what is the next faithful step? Okay, I'm scared to invite somebody to Easter. I get it. I get it. But maybe there's a faithful step. Maybe when Mike was praying a little bit earlier that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and put a name on your heart. Don't ignore that name. Okay? Don't ignore that name. That, all that person may need is an invitation. Everybody wants to be invited somewhere. What is that next faithful step for you? Thank you for, for that. Okay? Now, if, um, if, tell me your name. Rick, Rick thank you. Um, if Rick and I were to uh, go out to dinner, uh, based on the credit card that I saw, Rick would pay, and, um, and I would choose Ruth's Chris. So, um, you know, Rick and I would go out to, to dinner, and we would talk, and at some point we would get to the conversation of faith. My guess is, my guess is, both Rick and I, knee to knee, eye to eye, talking about life, we would both say, we want to be people of more faith. I want to know what that next faithful step is, and I, I want to step in that, in that direction. So how do I increase my faith? Well, I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all prescriptive answer, so let me give you a couple small faith step options for you. In your notes there, um, on the back side, it says life situations. I want you just to start, just pick a life situation that you're in, whether it's friendship, dating, marriage, children, career, health, finances, conflicts, other. And then circle one. This is how we're going to use our response time. Circle one of those and then draw a line to faith and then circle faith. And after you circle faith, you cross out control. I'm not going to try to control my marriage anymore. I'm not going to try to control my finances anymore. And then on the left side is some steps of faith. And these are just steps of faith that you might take with Jesus. Maybe one is acknowledge. Maybe really a simple step of faith is you're not even sure there is a God. So maybe this week, you're just going to acknowledge, you're going to live your life as if there is. That's your simple step of faith. 
What would it mean to follow him or get to know him or, or watch the person of Jesus? Sacrifice, obey. Okay? And what's helpful to me is during the week when I, when I catch myself moving from faith to control, just a breath prayer, a simple breath prayer. And the breath prayer can be something like, I'm not expressing faith right now. God, help me to be more faithful. Simple, okay? Simple. You don't have to drop to your knees to that. You can do that while you're driving. You can do that while you're on your back climbing a rope. All right, it's right there. I'm not expressing faith right now. Help me to grow in my faith. Look at what the people who hung around Jesus said in Luke 17. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. What a great prayer. Okay. Jesus, show me what my next faithful step is. The big idea I put on the bottom of your notes that I want you to remember is faith is trusting God with control. It's not about having no control. It's just about giving up control, letting God, the one who can control, take control. So imagine how your life might be different if you lost control, if you expressed faith to God in these, these ways, in my dating, my marriage, my children, my career, my finances, my conflicts. Here's what I want to tell you. Faith and control, they don't coexist. See, I, I've lived my life a lot, and I've kind of thought, well, I can control things, but my faith is in a different category. No, that's, that's not how it works. I'm, I'm guilty of, of thinking that they can coexist. They don't. And I'm not winning when I control, and, and neither are you. So you want to win? Let go. We use the word surrender around here. Surrender that control and express your faith to him. My oldest daughter is 25. When she was a little girl, she had this doll that she took with her everywhere. It was the worst doll you'd ever seen in your life. I mean, it looks like it had been through a shredder. It was missing an eye. It was, it was, uh, the stuffing was coming out. It was like an anorexic doll. Uh, it, it just, it, it, it was, it had no clothes. It had mystery stains on it. I mean, it was just, it was the ugliest doll you'd ever seen. But my daughter took that with her wherever she went. And we knew that we could clean it up. We could get some clothes made for it. We could sew it up. We could fix it. And we would say, baby, would you like us to, we can make your, your doll look like a normal doll. We can, we can fix your doll. And she would say, okay. And then every time we would go to get the doll, she would just hang on to it. She would just, she would never let it go. And one time my wife, who's, she's brilliant, but my wife said this to her. It can't be fixed until you let go. And I just always remember that phrase. It was kind of like sometimes, you know, when you're a speaker, you're like, let me write that down. You know, that, that'll, that'll preach. It can't be fixed until you let go. If you're going to get a tattoo, get that. All right, it, it can't be fixed until you let go. It's just always been a reminder to me, Doug, you want this area of your life fixed? Let go. You're trying to control it, and you're not as good at controlling it as God is. You're not as good on your own power as God is on his supernatural power. Faith is trusting God with control. Make sense? All right, we can live that out this week. So here's how I want us to respond. Respond on your outline. And then I also thought this would be an interesting idea. For some of us, 
during this closing song, we need to actually move up to the front and go to one of these tables and write out what it is you're struggling with controlling, that you're trying to control, and then actually physically put it in the prayer wall. Just that physical act of saying, I don't want to control this anymore, write it out, and put it in the prayer wall, kind of is your prayer to God. Physically doing that is actually a good thing for your heart. Now, some of you go, that's that actually would, would be good, but I don't want to get up out of my seat. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to control your image. See, control is all around us. Don't control your image. You're not performing for people around you. This is about the spiritual dimension of your life. Write it down. Give up control. All right? Let's pray together. Jesus, we are tired of controlling areas of our life it's just not working and we're trying to white knuckle it and yet we are doing that with such a lack of faith so today we recommit our hearts by surrendering control that we've taken back and we give it to you as you get into our boat into our life you become more clear for some here I know the heart conversion has happened today, that you have moved from master to Lord, from teacher to God, and we're grateful for the changes you're making. So we want to make significant changes, and we ask that as we respond to you, you would reveal yourself to us. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.